as this is the 50th episode of the Iron Duke podcast, I've actually got your present. No, no, I don't want to see this. Yep, I got your present because my oh. love language is gift giving because oh. I'm not that great of a oh, great of a colleague. Shit. Okay, listeners, she's not joking. Uh, she's just handed me a small, nondescript, unmarked box and come with me on my unboxing experience. I, oh, yep. So it's a mug. It's a mug, guys. <laughs> Take it out. It's a mug. Yep. Okay, it's got blue interior. I haven't seen what's on the side yet. Ah, <laughs> I know this photo. Oh, my God. Celebrating 50 episodes of the Iron Duke podcast and on this... Mug, it's probably the worst photo that exists of the two of us together at the U.S. Embassy, where I genuinely look like a North <laughs> Korean dictator. Just I'm squinting so much. This is, uh, Maddie. Thank you so much for how much you care. You know what the best part is? Oh God, what? That's not the only one that I got made. <laughs> how many of these are there? You just have to wait and see. But if you're a loyal listener of the Iron Duke podcast, there is likely. <laughs> The ugliest mug you've ever seen in your life coming your way. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I was not consulted on this. I feel really, um, I feel really uh, taken off guard. I'm, I'm, I have to withdraw in myself. One team, one dream, baby. Grant Robertson would be a much bigger threat to Lamingtons than Lamingtons would be a threat to Grant Robertson. Now the slushies! I wonder whether or not anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were of similar age. High taxing, big spending, big government. Okay, Boomer. National will get New Zealand back on track. New Zealand is the greatest little country in the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Iron Duke Podcast, your semi-weekly catch-up of all things policy, politics, where we take you through our interesting bits, peaks and pits, and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the world. And today, it is our 50th episode of a podcast that sometimes comes out weekly, sometimes comes out monthly, sometimes comes out fortnightly, but Maddie, it's great to be here. It's fantastic to be. 50 episodes. 50. 50 episodes, not bad. We've hit the half century, not so what bad. are we, what are we talking about? said we wouldn't continue on with this. That's but very here true. We are. A lot we, of people said that. So if you're one of the haters from the early days that's still listening, gotcha. Gotcha. Today we are going to run through the National Party's voting announcement, the Labour Party list, GST, on fruit and veg, and just the tax system at large. So Byron, kick us off. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is more roads, full stop. Mm-hmm. More roads. I love roads. Bit of tarmac, bit of bitumen. Yeah. Just lay down that beautiful black and top so does all the over the country. New Zealand. It's a policy that is completely unsurprising from the National Party. Their transport for the future, $24 billion. And essentially they're bringing back the roading programs of their key government, the roads of national significance. Because people love John Key. That's uh, where they're going wrong at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they also quite like having a brand new piece of tarmac built in their backyard, which gets them and their freight and their stuff and their families from, from A to B in this country. I mean, we're not a country that is blessed with a topography where you can just slap a high-speed rail line on the cheap and get to places very easily. Do New Zealanders know that? The number of arguments I've had, oh, if we just had high-speed rail. High-speed rail is... Yeah, for all seven people to use. Yeah, so like, you know, people wank on about high-speed rail and they're like, oh, we should have it, you know, every other country in the world. No, that's that's not true. Big countries with big populations that are generally either very wealthy or quite flat or the distances they need to travel between main centres aren't actually that excruciating, they have high-speed rail. Whereas we're hilly and poor. Uh, Hilly and unfortunately we've got not a lot of people going not very far. So, you know, oh, but Japan, 
Japan, Japan, oh, Japan. You know, it's long, skinny, and it's got mountains and that type of shit. Guess what? They're one of the richest countries in the world, guys, and they have a hundred and something million people. We have five million people. Anyway, so the roads of national significance, four lanes from Whangarei to TGA. Here we come, right from the top down to the Bay of Plenty. You are connecting the Golden Triangle and further north. That's a huge uh, couple of billion dollars that they're going to spend there. Four lanes to the plains here in the capital. That's the second Mount Victoria Tunnels proposed. I mean, that is just the biggest no-brainer in terms of capital projects that you can imagine in this city. I mean, I, f- I really feel for the Wellingtonians that have to drive to the airport and just get stuck for no particular reason around the Basin Reserve going to or from that kind of critical juncture. There's also, for you public transport nuffies out there, there's also investment in bus rapid transport and more trains in the lower North Island. Did I tell you I like trains? Yeah, in low, you do. In the lower North Island. So Where how, are the lower North Island trains going? To boring old Palmerston North? Oh yeah, they're going to some of the most boring places uh, <laughs> in the world apparently. They're going between Wellington, which is slightly less boring, and Palmerston North, which is slightly more boring than the average place in New Zealand. So that's interesting. Um, that's you know For those that don't get the reference, that's in reference to the Spanish team. Anyway, $24 billion. $24 billion is quite an interesting number. It's been called out by our transport advocates. It's been called out by the government. Why is that an interesting number? Because the National Party asked for the costings from Labor. They gave them the costings from 2021. Three weeks later, the Labor Party, the government says, oh, the costings are wrong. Oh, whoopsie daisies. And the Nats are using bad costings. That to me seems very duplicitous. But inside the National Party's Transport for the Future document, two good things. You've heard us on this podcast talk about infrastructure bonds, toll roads, that kind of thing. That's a big part of it. You actually have people paying for what they use, user pays, and the involvement of private sector financing in the building of infrastructure, which I think is a really important way to share the burden of our infrastructure deficit. Then something else in there that I think, this will feed nicely into the next conversation we're going to have because we're fucking nerds, value capture tax essentially so if you are the beneficiary living near one of these pieces of infrastructure your property value your land value goes up so the government is proposing that actually you will chip in a little bit more by virtue of being close to one of these major yeah, projects so what that means, or the off-ramps to one of these if, yeah projects. exactly if you are one of those kind of I call them truck stops you know when you come off an off-ramp and there might be a McDonald's and a cafe and a something or a petrol station all of that land will be taxed slightly higher again to fund the roads if you are in one of these new housing developments so for example one of the roads that they're funding is from Petoni to Granada so basically from Lower Hutt to the middle of Johnsonville sort of Porirua way and you're one of the now up to 20,000 homes that's Mm. going to be Mm. off that road, you pay for a little bit of that as well. And this just really shows the key difference between how the National Party and Labour Party approach infrastructure. National understand that there are a number of parties that can come to the table when it comes to funding these sorts of things, whereas Labour is just still on this this big government role. Exactly, and it's also what is the the role of revenue, revenue to pay for a thing, a purpose, user pays. So actually if you can ring fence it to pay for really clear infrastructure projects, that's a better and more equitable way of paying for it than just using the general taxation purse. But Completely you? agree. And because you think about how many New Zealanders will actually have none of these new roads in their backyard, but still their taxation is chipping in versus the people that are going to use it. And we know that toll roads are really successful because you keep a route that is open and free for people to use if they want to use it. But if people want to get from A to B faster, and a lot of times that is commercial trucking lines, for example, yep. uh, businesses end up paying more. And you know that's if you're getting benefit from a road, you should be the one paying for it. So that's a long list of infrastructure projects. What's your peak of the week? Well, my peak is 
is also list based and that oh. is the Labour Party list. And why is that my peak of the week? Because I freaking love lists. I've been tested. Don't worry. It's nothing like super special or anything. But the reason I love list season is because this is when things start to get messy. So what got messy on the Labour Party list, Maddie? Well, the Labour Party list, very much bread and butter. Nothing super exciting about it. No one had a catastrophic rise, which is always what people watch out for. Maybe Willow Jean Prime. She came up a few spots. But some people got put to the bottom of the heap and that was the likes of Michael Wood dropping from Cabinet all the way down to 45 and Phil Twyford down in there at 49. The reason that this is so interesting is that we know that roughly 20 Labour Party MPs are going to lose their seats this election and now we know who they're going to be. You can basically pinpoint who the people that aren't coming back are now. So based on modelling, and this is not polling, but modelling, so when you think about the party vote, the amount of party vote, and which seats might flip either way on your on your candidate vote, your electorate vote there, we could lose the likes of Priyanka Radhakrishna. She's a minister. minister. We could lose the likes of Camilla Ballach, you know, she's a real up-and-comer as well. There are there are 20 MPs, and I'll be honest, most of them we don't even know their names. I looked up some of these people and I said, you don't even fucking go here, I've never seen you before <laughs> in my life. I'm not going to name names because I can't even remember them, they're that irrelevant to me. Oh, that's okay. Chris Hipkins couldn't name his customs minister the oh, other exactly. day. Poor Joe. But again, heaps of people are going to be trawling through Trade Me Job Search pretty soon. And what this means is, you know, when you're an MP in that government or even in that cabinet who can see the writing on the wall for the future of their career, you start to get a little bit sloppy, don't you? You do. You start to chat to journalists. You maybe, do. Maybe you're sending stuff about fruit and veg to Nicola Willis. You do. You do. And that is where election season starts to really heat up. And we know, we know, we always go on about how Election should be a contest of ideas, but come on, some of the dirt around the edges is pretty interesting too. It's interesting. The top of the Labour Party list, generally speaking, is their, I think I saw someone on Twitter refer to the top of the list as the acceptably competent people. Not even the competent people, just the acceptably competent people. And then the second part of the list, kind of down from number kind of 15 onwards into the kind of you know, doldrums of the 60s, you start to get the naughty list, people mm. that have had a couple of transgressions against their name. Even Parker dropped a couple of places, which is quite interesting. And uh, he, you know, he's on the naughty list now because he's like, uh, don't like your tax policy, Prime Minister. <laughs> and, uh, you know, rah, 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 rah. I don't want to play with you anymore. I don't want to play with you anymore. And uh, frankly, you know, the likes of Phil Twyford, who was at one stage number four in Cabinet. Mm. This guy has had a meteoric fall, and it is quite embarrassing, I think. The other interesting thing about it is they're going to Why be able to bring on? they're going to be able to bring very very few new MPs off the list. Yep. But but if they lose, a lot of MPs that are on the list will just say sayonara and like go off into just be annoying somewhere else. And that's the likes of Robertson, Parker, Andrew Little. Mm. So they will be able to bring in new talent from there. But looking at who they'll lose, looking at who will leave. Could be, if they don't win this election, could be a while out in the cold for them. And then you also have to look at, okay, so if this, if Labour and the Greens and Te Pāti Māori do actually form a government, whoa, what kind of cabinet are you going to get? Mm. And then you have collective cabinet responsibility and that, that will get stretched right to the absolute limit if three parties insist on being in a governing coalition. Anyway, what is your pit of the week? My pit of the week, because everything can't be wonderful and roses, can it, is our immature conversation in this country on taxation and government revenue. So there's been a number of really high-profile articles, which one particular issue you'll talk about in more Mm. detail, so I won't steal your thunder on that, but just our 
unrelenting obsession with taxation and the kind of fervour of the conversation that's around it. We've seen the wealth tax and a potential capital gains tax both killed by the Prime Minister. Wealth taxes aren't actually an amazing revenue for government. They're not actually that good at collecting large amount of dollary dues. Yeah, but they make people feel like society is fair. No, they make people leave the country. So in other parts of the world that have put in a wealth tax, generally speaking, is people that can simply lift up their tax affairs and move them to the closest tax jurisdiction. And in New Zealand, that would be Australia. And mm. last time I checked, we already have significant you know, human flight leaving this country to Australia. And so you don't want taxes that disincentivize people to choose to stay here. Mm-hmm. Capital gains tax, there's arguments for and against, but it always ends up in the same kind of, you know, oh, it'll make you lose an election. There's no point in even entertaining it. It's always just, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's really... Uh, a respected conversation about it, right? I'm chill about a capital gains tax. I'm I'm pretty relaxed, but again, you get that capital flight argument, and if our economy is so geared towards property, do you want to kneecap it with a capital gains tax and go through that immediate pain of it? So that's a question, and we already have a quasi-capital gains tax on investment property through the Bright Line test. So there's a few little levers there that are interesting. Now, uh, the big one, obviously, is the one that most people who earn money will face, and that's income tax. So we have an incredibly shallow income tax system at the moment, with the top tax bracket being uh, 39% and $180,000. And the next one still, still, as of today, is at $75,000 at 33%. Government's taking a third of everything between um, $75,000 and $180,000. That's a massive tax bracket. That's an enormous mm. tax bracket. And people that are earning $75,000, they you know they could be doing well regionally, but in terms of the grand scale of things and house, measuring against household income, that is not huge. So $75,000 is still above the median. It's above the median wage, but only by about $14,000. The median wage is about sixty one. So we need a tax system that's kind of reflective of where we are actually earning. And I'm also pretty chill, you know, to use your uh, to use your turn of phrase, mm. with probably another tax bracket higher up in the 200,000s is kind of the wage move. Because we need to actually make sure that that tax system is progressive. What do you think about a larger tax-free threshold at the bottom? Like it in principle, it's incredibly expensive. Mm. And it's also poorly targeted because mm. it means that rich people get the same. Yeah, well it's, it's one of those things, right? So like taxing, let's let's say you go up to like forty five percent for those earning over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well there aren't many people earning over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in order to capture that revenue. But in terms of, you know, never tax free for everyone earning under ten thousand. That's like three billion dollars. Yeah. There's loads of us earning under ten thousand dollars. There should be more though. So, uh, so everybody raise the age to seventy. So basically, everybody earning income would probably get ta- that tax free threshold, right? Yeah. So therefore, that's about three billion dollars, I think, at the last uh, the last estimate that you just have to find kind of magic up, mm. and you can't tax enough people over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of income to make that up. There's not tax us. There's not. Yeah, that's not us. <laughs> there's um. Well, it's not me. I don't know how my, what's going on here at Ironshoe Partners. We it's gender equality. That's probably <laughs> true. Equity. Anyway, um, another thing about the tax debate which infuriates the absolute. F- out of me is people saying that you just need government to raise more revenue and they don't articulate why because that assumes that every dollar the government the state spends is a better dollar than somebody else in society could Hmm. spend it is essentially saying that you the people don't know what the fuck you're doing and that we the state 
know better than you. There is no discussion that I see in the public right now that says, is government spending in the right place at the right time and doing the right thing? I mean, you always see these stories of government ministries hiring lots of extra people, a project that kind of stands up and stops, and the public kind of asks itself, why did that happen? That's taxpayer revenue going towards that. It's interesting because when you look at how we came out of COVID and you know the economy was pretty stagnant, quite slow, and that's when the government announced they were going to do all those shovel-ready projects, right? And it's like, we're going to spend a whole bunch of your money to get the economy moving. Shit, did they ever think, we're going to allow you to spend more of your money that we would have otherwise spent on your behalf getting the economy moving in places where the market determines that it should be moving? Uh, that, that policy worked in other parts of the world. It worked in the USA really, really well. Actually, tax tax cuts ended up fueling quite a large increase in, in GDP growth over there. And lastly, which is my segue to you, the worst policy that I've seen so far was that one that was leaked to Nicola Willis about removing GST from fresh fruit and veg. And that policy has been all but confirmed by multiple ministers now and that it is on the agenda for the Labour Party. It is my pit of the week because it is just so stupid. And any student of public policy, any student of economics will understand that these sorts of tinkering around the edges of New Zealand's GST system, which is one of the most efficient consumption taxes in the world, is just stupid politics. And I'm going to give you just a couple of reasons why to up for today. Firstly, massive loss of revenue for the government. Nowhere have we heard about how they are going to pay for the 15 cents of every dollar spent on fruit and veg is going to come from. It is a huge cost. Secondly, similar to what we saw around the rebate tax for um, EVs and cleaner cars, whatever, a beneficiary of that is always going to be whoever is selling it to you, and in this case, the supermarkets, who are New Zealand's public enemy number one, and I think the only thing that all New Zealanders can agree on in our increasingly divided society. And lastly, the cost to actually administer something like this is ridiculous. The only people that are really set to benefit from this policy are lawyers. You know, how do you determine a fresh fruit from a canned fruit, from a dried fruit, from a fruit smoothie? Like, it's actually ridiculous in terms of how you determine what falls in and what falls out. And we have seen it successfully work nowhere overseas as a result of this. And the administrative process involved with trying to make this work will actually far outstrip the benefit of it. IRD will have to hire so many people to assess all of the claims that are made on what is fresh fruit and veg. When you snap freeze something and it's fresh at the time of freezing, oh, is that fresh? Exactly. When you can something and it's fresh at the time of canning, is that still fresh? The, and the one thing is, is that we can learn from other countries that have done this and the astronomical cost of this policy. We need to actually have a bit of a first principles view of tax and government revenue. It's all tied into but one. But we won't have a first principles discussion about it. We will have a vote winning discussion about it. And what we are about to see, and like I'm, I'm calling it here now, at some point you are going to get full page ads in the Dominion Post and the Herald and whatever they put out in the mainland of whose party your household is going to be better off under based on your revenue. And they're going to be politically paid for ad that says green versus blue versus red versus black versus yellow versus purple tax policies, here's your number, you should vote for us. And Purple. it's just shit. Yeah. Does United Future have a tax policy? Um, Interesting. They will, because we'll that, is the, that is the only way that Peter Dunn will make it Let's back. Let's get back into politics, baby. Back into politics is through tax. And again, coming back to our first principles here at Iron Duke Partners, it won't be good public policy. It'll be vote winning shit. It will, unfortunately. So that is my weekly rant. Byron, kick us off. What's your hot or not for the week? 46 vacant shops. On the Golden Mile in Wellington. Not. Palmerston North. 
Hot. Controversial. Mm, that's interesting. Who would have thought? I, wow. I hacked it for 17 years. You are a Palmerston North sycophant. That's what you are. And Japan beating Spain in the Women's World Cup. Phenomenal match. Amazing Phenomenal game. match. Uh, Palmerston North throwing it back your way as someone who is not from there. Yeah, not. Rude. How about GST off? No. Nah. Only nah. New Zealand nah. goods and services. No, nah, 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 just big, 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 big no. Nah. And lastly, two-time loser, Tarmody Coffee, heading out east. Not desperate. Well, listeners, keep your wallets closed. Don't let the tax in. And until then, we'll, we'll see, see you next week. week.